0: For. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. I want to talk tonight about being a disciple. Amen. I am a disciple. I am a disciple. Could you? Amen. If if if, I'm not going to make you say that because it's a declaratory statement. And if that's not you, then uh, then then don't say it. But if you if you agree with that or if you would call yourself a disciple, would you just say, I am a disciple? Amen. I am a disciple. And in fact, this is how I know. And uh, that's what we're going to to talk about tonight is is you know, what it means to be a disciple or what a scriptural um, uh, definition or what what Jesus would call or what the New Testament, how it would define what a real disciple is, who a real disciple is. Amen. I want to go here first to Matthew chapter four, and this is when we typically think of the disciples. This is really the beginning of, of that. When you think of the disciples in Scripture, this is the beginning of, of this, um, this culture or this um, group of, of men who became the disciples of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 18. It says that Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren... So Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And these two, Peter and Andrew, these two brothers, these two fishermen, they left their nets, they followed Jesus, and going on from thence, Jesus, he then saw two more brothers just down the shoreline. They were partners of Peter and Andrew in the fishing uh, in the fishing business, and these brothers' names were James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And they were out in their father's ship, and they were mending their nets, and Jesus, just like he had called Peter and Andrew, called out to James and John, and he says, follow me verse twenty two it says that they immediately left their ship and their father and they followed him. Now this is one of the very first things that Jesus does after leaving the the, the wilderness for that time of that, that of temptation that he had. This is really the the start of his public ministry. We have him at, at thirty years old, which would have been the uh, appropriate age at that time for someone to start their ministry or someone to uh, really come onto the scene as as somebody who who could be identified as a rabbi or as a teacher. And it was publicly acceptable for someone to start their ministry. So Jesus, now at 30 years of age, Comes and the very first thing that happens is he is drawn into the wilderness or he withdraws himself into the wilderness for a time of prayer and fasting. And in this time of prayer and fasting, at the end of that, the 40 days, we, um, you know, the story of how the Satan comes in and he tempts Jesus in three different ways and, and Jesus, he, says the word or speaks the word and and the response to each of these three temptations. And then following that, immediately, he goes and he, he ministers in, uh, in one area and then goes and he's on his way up to the Sea of Galilee and he finds these men who he calls to be his disciples. Now this is not, at that time, this is not an uncommon thing for... Um, for someone to to have disciples, I don't. We don't. We don't necessarily think of that. This process as much in our culture today, but as far as the the religious culture of that day, this was kind of the process. Is is you had men, you had great teachers, you had these. It was typically men who they they grew up in um, in the Jewish uh, schools and in their. Uh, you know, within all the teaching that they would receive, and then they would kind of be picked out as, hey, you have some potential here. And so then they would, uh, when the time came, they would have disciples that would then learn from them, follow them around. There was this expectation that the disciples were, were there with them for a period of time before they were then released to go make disciples of themselves. That was the culture of the day. And so Jesus... He does kind of the the natural thing or or the thing that you would expect of someone who's a great teacher, except he doesn't pick the people that you would expect him to pick. He doesn't go to the synagogue. He doesn't go to the, the, the place where all of these students have been studying. He goes to the Sea of Galilee. He chooses a couple of fishermen. And he doesn't stop there. It's, it's from these these four you have. We don't know the, the uh, occupations of all of them, but uh, we know uh, these four fishermen. We know that there's, there's one that was a tax collector, Matthew. He was the outcast of society, the tax collectors. They were the ones that... They didn't belong. They were they were the, the Jews looked down upon them because they were betraying their uh, their their Jewish identity by helping the, the Roman government and collecting these taxes. And so and but Jesus he looked beyond all of that and he saw somebody and he says, Let me reach the unreachable, let me reach the people that that when um, you know when Jesus leaves and, and in the book of Acts, when others look at these men. They say, "How do these unlearned men do all of this stuff? These unlearned, ignorant men, they're the ones that are starting the church. They're the ones. these are the ones that Jesus called to be his disciples. these twelve disciples. Now there were, of course much many more than just twelve disciples there were there were crowds that followed Jesus. We, uh, we know that uh, at the very end of Jesus' ministry, at least there were uh, 120 that uh, would have followed Him closely enough to have been tarrying at the day of Pentecost um, in that upper room, and it would have been filled with the Holy Ghost. So there may have been 12 that were identified by name, but there are many more than that that we could point to as the disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, Here's our dilemma today is is do we do we still fit this mold of being a disciple of Jesus in our 21st century church in this new life apostolic church where we are apostolic because we want to model the way that the way that we do church the way that uh, the way that we follow Christ, we want to model it after that first century church i don't i don't want to i don't want this to be built on the traditions of men that have been passed on to us from century to century to century that's but i mean as as much as we want that, we do have traditions of men right we do have Traditions that have been passed down to us. I mean, in fact, just the the fact that, that we are in this building right now and that this service is taking place in the way that it's taking place right now is passed down to us from the traditions of men. Along the long uh, sanctuary that we're in with the, the, the chairs and the pews and everything facing forward up to a stage, just, that comes from the traditions of men. Many of the things that we do the the song some of the songs that we sing just the way that we that we worship and and we have a praise team and, and I'm not saying that all these things are wrong but but there, there there's things that that we do that are are passed down to us and they've become part of our culture but they weren't necessarily part of the uh, of the original church that wasn't the way that they did church that wasn't the way not, not, I don't even like that I shouldn't even be saying that's that that's the way they did church it's that's that, that That's not how they. They were just the church. They were the church everywhere that they went. They were the church. It didn't matter if they were being persecuted and cast out from uh, from one city, and they had to go to another city. They were just they would. They were the church wherever they went. And so, and so, are we? uh, Are are we living in in such a way that we can not just be called Christians today? But that we can be called disciples, because Jesus has called us to be disciples. I, I want to um, start a discipleship movement in this church so badly. It is my prayer every day that we would become a disciple-making church. A church of disciples, that we would be making disciples, that we would have a culture that is about discipleship and getting into people's lives. And that it would not just be something that we come to church and we are the we are the recipients of all that that is involved in coming to church. But let us be the church. Let us be the church. And and I've got to be uh, I mean, to be honest i 've got to change things in myself, but we all have to change things in ourselves to truly get where I believe to what what how jesus how he how we commissioned the church to behave the way that the way that he set the church up how, how jesus how jesus even Even set up his ministry. It was was about investing in the lives of twelve individuals, and even from there, you can break it down. There were three of those twelve that Jesus really invested in: Peter, James, and John. You see many times where, where Jesus he would pull aside just those three, even beyond the twelve. You pull aside Peter, James, and John. Come with me. You see, in the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus pulls those three up. They're the only three that really get to see Jesus in this glorified state uh, up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They they get to see Moses and um, blanking on the other ones, Moses and Elijah. um, But anyway, those those who were there with Jesus on that Mount of Transfiguration, they were the ones that got to see that. Just those three, because Jesus, he was investing in people's lives. It was a very personal relationship, and not just these 12 disciples. That's how Jesus just did his ministry. That's just how Jesus did ministry. He saw people. Jesus saw people. He he, he bridged a gap that was where people were at, these outcasts of society, And he said, God is reaching for you. I want you to know that I see you. Think of Jesus. He knows, Jesus knows exactly what is is getting ready to take place as he's on his way to Jerusalem for the very last time. The last time when he's, he's going to die in Jerusalem on the cross. And he's passing through the city of Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And on his way there, I mean, imagine, imagine what's going on in his mind. All these things, all these thoughts, I, I'm just hours away. I, I mean, he's, he's, he's days away, but it's just, you know, just moments away from, from the fact where he's going to be betrayed, where he's going to be beaten, he's going to die on a cross, he's going to become the sacrifice for our sins. And as he's passing through Jericho, what does he do? He looks up into a tree and he sees an outcast of society. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I I'm going to go to your house today. And he goes to the house, and we don't get the full conversation. We don't know everything that takes place in this, uh, this, this conversation that Jesus has with Zacchaeus. But what we do know is that by the time that they emerge from Zacchaeus's house, Zacchaeus has been changed. His priorities have been completely turned upside down. Where he was made rich in the outcast of society as a tax collector and the one who was stealing from all of his neighbors or, or making himself rich off the backs of all of his neighbors, now he says after being spending this time with Jesus, he says, "I repent. I will give everything that I have back to the poor." He was changed. The same thing. He, he spends time. He sees. He sees the uh, the woman at the well. And he begins to minister to her right in her place of need. He sees this, the woman who was, who was brought to him in the act of adultery. He sees her and he meets her right where she's at. He doesn't, he doesn't look down on her. He just meets her where she is and speaks to her need, sends her away and says, go and sin no more. He meets people. He, he cares about people. It's all about discipleship. It's all about a one-on-one relationship of trying to build a relationship with somebody so that they can see who God really is. Amen. I am, I'm just speaking from the heart tonight. I don't know how much we're going to get into this Bible study tonight, and that's all right. Ephesians chapter 4, we don't, even ha- we don't have this on there on your sheet tonight but Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 and 12 it speaks of the fivefold ministry. And we we think of the the apostles, and the prophets, the pastors, teachers, the evangelists. We we look at them, the fivefold ministry. But why does it say that that God gave us the fivefold ministry? In verse 12, let me go there. I hear it coming out. I hear some of you saying it already. I'm going to go there. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It says, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? It's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He gave them, these individuals, to be... Uh, you know, in, individuals that that they would, um, you know, perhaps be in a in, in what you might see or look at as as maybe an elevated uh, position of ministry, but it's not for them to do all of the ministry. It's for them to to come and to perfect the saints so that the saints can go and do the work of the ministry. So that. All of us can go and do the work of the ministry. That's that's the model. That's the New Testament model that we see. That that the the saints are the ones that everybody, not just the saints, but the saints, the ministers, everybody's going and they're doing the work of the ministry. All of them. In fact, fact, this was a a fundamental change in the way that the church operated. And it takes place in Acts chapter 6. Again, we don't have this on your notes tonight. But Acts, Acts chapter 6, there was a fundamental change that took place. And we see the explosion that happens in the church because the saints began to be released to do ministry. There was a, a problem or a, a dispute that began to take place as the church began to grow and the needs of the church began to grow it's in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And then the 12, these are the 12 disciples of Jesus, with Judas having been replaced by Matthias. So it says, The 12, they, they called the multitude of the disciples to them and they said, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. Okay. Uh, verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. You, you may think there, okay, so this is... Is that really ministry? Are, are, are they really releasing just the church to go and do ministry, the saints? That's exactly what's taking place there. You may see that, the, the wording of that and all of that. It, it talks about just waiting the tables. But when you see what these men who, who are placed in these positions begin to do, and then you see how they then go and, and uh, the church is... Is expanded because of the ministry that they uh, that they start to do. It's it's incredible. We can verse verse five. It says, "Saying the saying it pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, is a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Philip, okay, Philip became a missionary. I thought he was just waiting tables. No, the saints are being released to go, 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 do ministry." Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Permanus, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of the Lord increased the number of the disciples, multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient in the faith, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people." You see what happens when the saints in Acts chapter 6 are released to go, do ministry, go, and, and, and begin to, to multiply. Let's, let's have a multiplication effort that starts to take place. Amen. I want to see multiplication begin to take root in this church. I don't want it just to be addition where it's me just finding one more person. But I want multiplication. And that can only happen when we get outside these walls and we all start doing ministry. Amen. I want to look at the profile of a disciple. If we were to look at the profile for a a good 21st century Christian, I could sum it up with this, and and we could add more things to it, but a good 21st century Christian is someone who they would experience the new birth. Amen. That's needed. That's necessary. They would come out of sin of the world. They would, they would come out of that, that lifestyle. A good 21st century Christian would would faithfully attend their church. Hopefully they would become a good steward or a faithful steward of their time, a faithful steward of their money. I think any pastor would be would be just so pleased if if their saints were doing these things. I think that's a good 21st century Christian. But Let's look at Jesus' profile for his disciples. What what does he call? What kind of a a profile does he have for the the people who would be called to be a disciple of of his? Let's go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 20. Jesus, he said unto him, in fact, I'm going to back up just uh, back up two verses here. It says, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart to the other side. And a certain scribe came and he said to him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. In other words, he's saying, hey, Jesus, I, I want to be your disciple. I want to go with you wherever you go. I want to. I'm going to hitch my, my wagon to your uh, to your ride. We're going to go wherever you go. I'm going to go. Kind of reminds me of of Elisha, uh, him saying that to, to Elijah when Elijah says you can just stay here. You're, you're all right. And Elijah says no no no, Master, I'm going wherever you go. Or Ruth, Ruth says that to her mother in law or uh, uh, Orpa. She says uh, wherever you go, I'm going to go there. Or Naomi. She says that to her, her mother-in-law. Wherever you go, your God will be my God. Wherever you go, I'm going there. And that's what the scribe is saying to Jesus. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. I want to be your disciple. And Jesus, he said to him, let me tell you just a little bit about what it means to be my disciple. Because the foxes, they have holes that they can go to at night. And they can snuggle in there into their holes and find their safety and their protection. The birds of the air, they can go and when they get tired, they can find the nest that they built and they can sleep in that nest. But the son of man, he doesn't have anywhere that he can lay his head. And then... Another one of the disciples or another one of these individuals who Jesus had had just been doing some ministry and there were some people there that are wanting to uh, now follow him. And so another interested disciple comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, well, I want to follow you. But, you know, my father just died. And so let me go and bury my father and then I'll follow you. What does Jesus say? Follow me. Let the dead bury the dead. That's a pretty harsh statement. Jesus would look at, look at him and say, oh, let the dead bury the dead. I'm calling you right now. I'm getting ready to leave right now. Are you ready to go with me or are you not ready to go? Are you are you willing to to bypass every one of the social expectations that's upon you, all the expected cultural norms that you would be there? Uh, Are you willing to miss all of that or bypass all of that to follow me? Are you willing to give up your security, including your home, in order to follow me? This is what Jesus is is calling, and and, and the profile that he's creating for his disciples is somebody who they would give up everything with, with Peter and Andrew and James and John. He says, give up your lifestyle of fishing and come and follow me. In fact, I want you to not carry anything else with you except for just the shoes on your feet, the clothes on your back, and just a little bit of money, and just go, and wherever you go, I will provide. God will provide for you everywhere that you go. This is the the profile that Jesus has for his disciples. Luke chapter 14, we get a little bit more of a conversation that Jesus has about what's expected of disciples of his. Luke 14 verse 26. So Jesus, speaking here, he's, he's speaking to a great multitude of people and turns to them and he says, if any man come to me and he hates not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Those are some heavy words. Now, it's clear from the other instructions of Jesus in other places, he does not want us to be divisive in our families and to really hate our, our mother and father and children and, and brothers and sisters. He's, we know that, that Jesus, uh, he, he teaches and he practiced love. But what he's saying is, you need to love God so strongly that your love for everyone else looks like hatred, in comparison to your love for god that your love for god it, it when when you call yourself a disciple of jesus christ when you call yourself a disciple of god are you your your love for him must be so abundant that any kind of human love that you might have for somebody else it doesn't even compare and this is the profile that Jesus is building, and that that really we should should uh, assess ourselves and say, "Wow, am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I a disciple of Jesus, or or am I just a good twenty first century Christian?" Which which I, I don't want to disparage that at all, because that that's we need to do that. But Jesus is calling us not just to be Christians, but he's calling us to be disciples. He's calling every one of us to be his disciples. We can can continue here in this passage in Luke. He says, um, I don't don't think I did uh, verse 27, if you want to just go back one. Uh, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If you don't bear your cross, if you're not willing to uh, to, to carry the very weight of the of the the thing that the beam that on your shoulder, as they would be carrying that to their death. If you're not willing to march to your death bearing your own cross, then you're not fit to be my disciple. He continues, it says, "For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he." Have sufficient to finish it. Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, The man began to build, he was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. He says, count the costs. Willingly give up everything that you own. And that is the profile, is the profile for my disciples. Somebody who is all in. Somebody who would say, Jesus, I give you every part of me. Everything I have is yours. God, my future, I put it in your hands. God, my my desires, my will, my lust, my everything about me, God, I give it to you. My family, my career, my finances, God, everything, I give it to you. The profile of a disciple, it seems to be drastically different from that of a 21st century Christian. In my assessment, even many faithful church-going apostolic Christians, and I'm not trying to disparage anything at all today, I want to just lift us up and say, well, let's strive to be disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to strive to be a disciple of the one who died. He gave his life for me. He gave everything. He gave it all. And so here I am. And he's just saying, come on, would you just come and follow me? Give up everything. Come and follow me. Would you be my disciples? Would you be my disciples Amen. The simplest definition that I could think of for a disciple is a follower of Jesus who is, willing, or, or, who, is, who is filled with the Spirit of God and who is willing to grow in obedience to whatever he asks. Whatever God asks, here I am and I say, God, I'll be obedient to it. God, whatever you need to change in me, God, I'm willing to let it be changed. If there's anything in me that needs changed, God, if there's any direction that I'm going, that, it, that you want me to go a different direction, I will listen to you because I am your disciple. God, I am moldable. I, I'm, I'm not set and, 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 and here and, and say, okay, I, I've made it. I'm a, I'm a good Christian. I've, I've been born again. I've done everything that I needed to do. In fact, I did it 40 years ago. Here I am. I'm still good. I'm still sitting here on the pew and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna make it to heaven. I'm not saying that you're, that you're not, but he's calling us to more. He's calling us to be disciples of him that would still say, Jesus, change my heart. Jesus, let me be obedient to you when you begin to speak to me. Jesus, let me be molded by you. Whatever you ask God, I will follow. That's the simplest definition I can think of for a disciple is somebody who is sold out, somebody who says, God, I will change whatever you are asking me to change. God, let me be a disciple. Amen. I want to I look at how can we become a disciple? How can we become a disciple? The first thing that we need to do if you want to become a disciple is to allow God to change your priorities. If you have experienced the new birth, but your priorities have not changed, then you have not become a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you you have come and you've been baptized and you have repented you know prayed a prayer repentance, or if you have even um been filled with the gift of the holy ghost but you are still living and doing the same things that you would be doing had you uh, been out in the world you are not a disciple of jesus christ you must experience Christ's transforming work in your life there is no substitute for the work of the spirit in the life of a disciple there's no substitute when the, when the spirit comes in, it, it has to transform you. And here's the thing, it shouldn't just be something that you were transformed in your past. There still should be transformation happening today. things that are continuing to happen, things that God is still speaking to you and saying, all right, let' let's work something out here. Let's, well, let' let's, let's just get some of this. And I, you know we, we're, we're not, I'm not perfect, none of us, I, I don't think any of us are close to being perfect. But here I am, and I'm saying, God, continue to mold me. I keep molding me. I keep making me more and more like you. God, I, I, I'm not where I want to be, but God, I'm thankful that I'm not who I used to be. I'm thankful that that's not me anymore back there. And if it, if who I am today looks anything similar to who I was without Jesus Christ, then Lord, change me. On, I need to find an altar, God. I need to find a, a prayer closet that I can get into and say, God, take some of this stuff out of me. Lord, I shouldn't look like this. Lord, I should be different. I should be changed. God, my heart. Well, it's, a lot of times it's just stuff in your heart. It's your it's it's the things that you're chasing after, the things that you think about, the things in your mind that you're that you're thinking about, and and, and, and you're so uh, drawn to. Let us be drawn to the things of God. If if I'm a disciple of Jesus, then here I am. And I'm, I'm a follower of Him. I'm saying, God, change me, mold me, make me, Lord, more like You every day of my life. I change my priorities. Amen. We see, we see Jesus speak of this um, being a disciple a little bit more here in the Book of John, John chapter fifteen. We'll turn there, verse number five. Jesus, he's, he's building a little um, illustration here. He says that I am the vine; you're the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burnt. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask What you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. We need to swap our identity for Christ's identity. We abide in Him. He abides in us. Amen. Our priorities change. Our identity changes. Everything about us changes because now I, my life abides in Christ. I, there's an excellent, excellent book that I would encourage every one of you to pick up. It's called Follow the Lead. It's written by um, one of our assistant general superintendents of the United Pentecostal Church, with Stan Gleason, uh pastor's life church in, uh, in Kansas City. And he writes his book on discipleship, and he says in that book, Jesus didn't call them friends, associates, or children when he talked about fruitfulness, but he called them disciples. By using this term, he emphasized his relationship to them and their commitment to him. They have this relationship with him. and He's he's, calling, he's, he's talking about the, the fruitfulness that they're going to have. And I want to uh, speak of this just in this next point as well. It comes uh, straight from that par- same parable that, or the same uh Illustration that Jesus is using there, the fact that when we abide in him, we become fruitful. <laughs> when our identity is wrapped up in Jesus Christ, there's fruitfulness that begins to take place. How can how do you know that you're a disciple of him? Oh, because you're fruitful. You have fruit. There's there's fruit. There's there's offspring. There's there's things that that they come out of you. We see the fruit of the Spirit. It speaks of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. You see these things that that, uh, love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, kindness, peace, self control. These things that, that, that wasn't your nature before, but now that I abide in Christ, that's my nature. I'm fruitful. I, and, and this fruit, is, it's, it's evidence to me that now I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And there's, there's more fruit than just that. We see the, the spiritual offspring is the fruit. There's, there's, re, there's pre- reproduction that begins to happen when we abide in Jesus Christ. There's spiritual offspring, people that, that we invest in. See, this was part of the disciple culture. It was part of the expectations of, of the first century or the, um, the, the time of Jesus, that, that discipleship culture that they had. It was that you are a disciple, but you are expected to make disciples. That was part of the, the understanding that when I become a disciple, I'm then going to make disciples as well. And this is exactly what, what, uh, what helps so much, um, not just, not just a, a, like growth in the church, but it helps spiritual growth in myself. When I have a disciple, when I'm investing in somebody else, when I have spiritual offspring that I'm caring for, that I'm nurturing, that I'm, I'm, I'm investing in them and speaking to them and, and helping them to grow in Christ, there is something transformative that begins to happen inside of me. I can tell you that, that the times when uh, when, when I am, am, am involved in in somebody's life and I'm investing in them, that those are the greatest times of transformation that's happening in my life as well. Amen. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, the very last words of Jesus. Some of the very last words of Jesus before he goes up into heaven, these last instructions to his his disciples that were there on earth. He tells them, go ye therefore and make disciples. That's in the New King James Version that says, go ye therefore, and the King James says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. But every other translation that you read, nearly every other one, every, every one other one that I looked up says, go ye therefore and make disciples. And that's because that's what that Uh, The the Greek word means to teach all nations. It meant to go and make disciples. That was the instructions that Jesus left his disciples with before he left this earth. Go and make disciples. Okay, now I've poured into you. Now you go and make disciples. Disciples, you go invest into somebody else's life. Come on, let's let us let this begin. Come on, a, a, a reproductive kind of a, a culture within the church so that you make disciples and there's somebody else that then they go and they make disciples of them. And the church begins to multiply because when you have disciples of disciples of disciples, then all of a sudden it's branched out and it goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what that instruction was. It, it, it follows this whole model of discipleship, the fact that it's all going to be spread out, the fact that they are making disciples. Go and make disciples. There's another just great, great book on, on this discipleship uh, culture or us uh, uh, you know, learning to be disciple makers. It's called Spiritual Conversations by Dan Grider. And this quote here just comes from that book that I was, I was reading some of this today. So the self-centered, classic cultural Christianity lifestyle never produces real spiritual maturity. The Father has designed the process of spiritual reproduction to grow and develop us. When we reproduce, we develop a bonding concern for the well-being of someone other than ourselves that will always create maturity in us. He goes on to say to scores of church attenders, they convince themselves that they are mature Christians, yet they bear little to no sense of responsibility about reaching people who face a Christless eternity. There's a couple things I could add to that. There's This idea of when you become a parent, if, you, if you've ever um, been a parent or if you are a parent today, you understand that responsibility that is, is laid upon you the moment that you bring a child into this world. I'm responsible for my kids. I, I'm responsible for them. And it, it changes me it changes me to know that i'm responsible for them and and i i'm responsible to 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 raise them up in in the way of the lord i'm responsible to keep their to keep them protected and safe i'm i'm responsible to help them to learn how to crawl and how to walk and how to to do all of these these first step kind of things that they're doing as a as a young child and then they get older and and you know eventually we send them off and and we don't have as much control over them. I'm thankfully not quite there yet, but I'll get there one of these days, I'm sure. But we're responsible for them, and even then, you still don't, I'm sure, lose that feeling of responsibility and care for your children. That's... Exactly what Jesus is is saying when he says, Go and make disciples because not only is this, uh, is, you know, how I want to build the church, but this is going to affect you. This is going to affect something inside of you. It's going to change things inside of you. When you have spiritual offspring, it begins to mature you. It begins to change you. It begins to help you to have, uh, to have Jesus Christ at the center of everything that you do. Amen. Hey, I, we don't have time to get into all of these examples here, but um, into all the, the scriptures, but I'll just mention them by name, and you can read the stories in the scripture, amen, at, at a later time. But if we look, and there's there's plenty of other New, New Testament disciples that we could get to. These are, um, I guess, New Testament, I, I'm talking church age uh, people, not just the 12 disciples, but when we look in the book of Acts, some different disciples that we see. The first being Ananias. Amen. Ananias, he was, he was prayerful enough to hear God's voice and to trust what God was telling him to do. This is the man that he was the first one that went to Paul or went to Saul of Tarsus after Saul's conversion on that road to Damascus. Amen. Somebody who he heard the voice of God, he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, that he went and he listened to the voice of God and he trusted him amen. enough to say, all right, God, you're speaking to me. I will go and do whatever you're calling me to do. That's the testimony of Ananias. We see the testimony. uh, I I guess I don't have him listed here, but but the testimony of Barnabas is, is just a great disciple. Somebody who Barnabas, meaning an encourager. Barnabas, he, he was an encourager. He was the one who came along Saul, came along Paul, just after Ananias had ministered to him and baptized him, and, and he prayed with him, and, and Paul received the Holy Ghost that day. And then Barnabas comes alongside him, and he takes him in, and he begins to encourage him and build him up and, and mature him in the faith, Barnabas was a disciple, an encourager. I, I'd say everybody, everyone in here, we should, we should strive to be encouragers, right? Wouldn't that be a, a great thing to strive to be a, a Barnabas, an encourager, the son of consolation, the, son, uh, the the one who's an encourager. The bar, that's Barnabas. That's who he was known as, the one who encourages others. If Peter... Peter, of course, was a disciple of Jesus, but we see him continue that in the church. How we see him in, in the acts of his um, being a disciple. He was in prayer, as was this, uh, as was this God-fearer. I, I spoke about God-fearers a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night. Uh, when he was a, a Gentile a Gentile who feared God, and, and both of these men are praying, and Peter listens to the voice of God as, as God reveals to him, go and meet this man Cornelius and pray for him, and he responds to that, and and because he responds, because he listened to the voice of God in his, in his time of prayer, and he goes, and be, we, because of that, we have uh, what, what I would call a Gentile day of Pentecost. Amen. For the first time recorded in Scripture, we have a Gentile who is filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And, and the course of, of the church is, is altered again. It's changed because of what Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ, somebody who is willing to be obedient to the voice of God when God begins to direct him in a certain way. And lastly we have aquila and priscilla in fact let's let, let's just go there we'll end with the scripture it's just one scripture here in acts chapter 18 verse 26 this is a husband and wife aquila and priscilla it says that he began to speak boldly in the synagogue whom when aquila and priscilla had heard They took him unto them, and they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. This is speaking of a man named Apollos. Apollos, a gifted speaker, somebody who was a Jew, but somebody who would get up in the temple, and he was speaking, and you have Aquila and Priscilla in their their time that they were just going to the temple for prayer. Disciples of Jesus Christ. And they were used by God. It was not some divinely appointed uh, thing. It wasn't God revealing himself um, like he did to Ananias and saying, go to, go to meet Saul. It wasn't like uh, Peter where God uh, revealed himself and says, go and meet Cornelius. But this Aquila and Priscilla right there in the daily course of their life at the temple, they see this man Apollos and they minister to him and they win him to the Lord. And they begin to disciple him. And we see, again, the course of the church is changed. We don't see, uh, you know, a, a big, uh, expansive uh time of the ministry of Apollos, but uh, history shows, and we see some uh, some parts of this uh, in Scripture, that Apollos, he was a great minister there in the first time of the church, a great speaker, somebody who, uh, there, there's some that would say perhaps that even the book of uh, Hebrews, who is, uh, in, or which is an unattributed book that perhaps was written by Apollos. But uh, just, just we see them in the course of just their daily lives going and saying, let me be a disciple maker. Let me find somebody. And I see him and he is God is calling him. God's going to use him for something greater. Amen. Let us be disciples. Amen. I'm going to I'm not going to get off of this topic until the Lord shakes me from it. So, uh, amen, just uh, just continue. If you could just continue to pray and ask the Lord God. If there's anything in me, Lord, that doesn't measure up to what you are calling me to be as a disciple of yours, God, then change it. Lord, help me to become your disciple. Amen. In fact, if we could all, just all throughout this place right now, if we could just lift up your hands, if you want to stand and as, as we dismiss tonight, you can do so. Amen. I just want to pray this prayer, Lord, that you would begin, Lord. Lord